Well, uh, just a reminder of where we're up to. Uh, if you're a keen observer and uh, good at your maths, you'll, you'll notice we've just reached halfway. So six chapters in Ephesians, and this is the beginning of chapter four. And uh, there is a word there that's a little bit hidden in uh, that translation we were just reading, the NIV, uh, at the start of chapter four. Can you see there it says, as a prisoner for the Lord then? That little word then uh, would be better translated therefore and it would be better placed at the start of the verse. Okay? So it would be better if it said, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. The point I'm making there is that the therefore is picking up on everything in chapters 1, 2 and 3 and saying, now we're going to talk about what that means for how we live. Okay, so chapters 4, 5 and 6 then come after the therefore and the therefore refers back to chapters 1, 2 and 3. So it's a really important verse, it's a hinge verse. Uh, Before we've been talking about all that Christ has achieved for us and now we're going to be talking about how we respond to all that Christ has achieved for us. So that's where we're heading in the second half of the the letter and in the second half of this term, of this, this series. Now we're putting our, uh, our running shoes on and thinking about how do, we, how do we live for Jesus? What does that look like? And this morning we're going to see that uh, the focus is, the, the main thing that Paul is getting at here is that the focus on how we're to live is we're to live together. We're to live for each other. We're to live as a body not as individuals, okay? So that's where we're heading. Let's pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, we uh, have just asked that you would add your blessing to the reading of this word and uh, we understand that your blessing is uh, when this word hits home for us, when it makes sense to us, to our minds, when we understand it, but also when we, by your spirit who lives in us and among us, live it out. Father, we uh, don't want to be like that person that James talks about who looks in the mirror, understands what they see, but then goes away and forgets what they've seen. Uh, We want to be someone who hears your word and does your word. We want to be a people who hear your word and then put it into practice. So please help us to do that. Help us to take what we hear to heart. Uh, Give us new understanding, fresh understanding of what we read about your plans for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've uh, ever come across the word of the year. Um, Different dictionaries uh, like to put out, other organisations like to put out their word of the year. It's usually a a word that has um, either you know, just come into currency in that last year, a year that no, a word that no one had used previous to that year, or a word that had been known but just hadn't been that uh, important, but uh, events have made it important and it's really become important and big in the vocabulary. So, for example, uh, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, uh, in 2019, their word, and often it's a phrase, uh, was climate emergency. Remember when that mattered? Uh, <laughs> before COVID? Um, climate emergency was the phrase of the year or the word of the year in 2019. Back in 2016, the word was 
post-truth. Post-truth. That was uh, that was when uh, Donald Trump, I think, was uh, coming into power in America, and it was kind of the idea that we don't really care about truth anymore. We live in a post-truth world. What a bizarre world that would be if it were true that we lived in a post-truth world. 2016. 2015, the word of the year was actually not even a word. The word of the year was an emoji. You know, one of those little pictures that you can stick in your text messaging? It was, a, it was the one, the happy face with the tears, you know, kind of coming, coming out of the eyes. Uh, I think it was because uh, it was saying, you know, we don't even primarily use words anymore to express things. We'll use images. Uh, you know, in 2020, so last year, this year's word hasn't yet been chosen uh, by the Oxford English Dictionary, but in 2020, no word was chosen. There was no word chosen. And the reason for that was because there were just too many new words that we were using to cope with the year, to cope with 2020, to cope with COVID and all the changes that COVID brought into our lives. So no word was chosen last year. Well, today, today uh, I'm not the Oxford English Dictionary, but I do want to suggest a word for us, a word that shouldn't just be a word for the year, but should be a word for our lives. Um, it's a new word. It's a, new, it's a word you will not have come across before. It's a word I've made up, in fact. Uh, it's, it's a combination of two words, and you'll see it up there on the screen. Maturity. Maturity. Now, what is maturity, I hear you ask? Thank you for asking. Maturity is, in fact, <laughs> maturity is, in fact, you might be surprised by this, it is the goal of the Christian life. Maturity. It's maturity with unity. Okay? So we often think, I think, if we, if we give it thought, we think that the goal of the Christian life is maturity. Christian maturity, to become mature as a Christian. Not just older as a person, but to grow up in Christ, a mature Christian. But that's only half the story. God has bigger plans than that. He doesn't want you to just become a mature Christian. In fact, it's impossible for you to just become a mature Christian. There's a context that that has to happen in, And there's a reality that it has to conform to. And that context and reality are each other. Each other, the context of the church. And so a mature Christian is somebody who grows up in love for God, but also for his church. Someone who dedicates themselves and their life to the unity of the body of Christ. And that's what we see in this, in this passage in Ephesians 4. A mature Christian is someone dedicated to the maturity of the whole body. You can't be a mature Christian off on your own. It's impossible. That's not, you might think you're a mature Christian. You might study the Bible and you might know everything in there. But a mature Christian is somebody who lives a certain way and that certain way is in love towards other members of the body of Christ and through those relationships also in love for the world. So this is our goal, maturity. I know it sounds like a silly word and maybe it is, but it captures 
I think, something really important. By putting those two words together, it's a reminder that they belong together, not just as words, but as a reality. And so Paul talks in this passage, he uses this metaphor, doesn't he, of the body. It's introduced in verse 4, the first time he mentions it, is there. He says, there is one body in that long list of things that there is one of. He says the body first. There is one body. And then later on in the chapter, towards the end, he talks about how the body uh, will be built up. Uh, So down in verse uh, 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So it's there in verse 4, towards the beginning, and it's there in verses 15 and 16 at the end. But I want to say that this whole chapter, or this whole passage anyway, that we've just read, is an extended metaphor about the body, and it talks about three activities of the body. Uh, Two of them are a little hidden, and the third is quite clear. So the third is speaking, and we'll get to that last. So this is an activity of the body, the mouth speaks. Uh, But also in here we have walking, I'll show you where that is, and uh, listening, okay? And I'll show you why I'm saying that that's in there as well. So think about that. Paul is talking about a body, and he's also talking about what a body does. So a body walks or is able to walk, generally, when it's working well. A body can hear with its ears, and a body can speak with its mouth. So there's an extension to the metaphor of the body here. So let's take a look. First of all, walking. Why does Paul use the term walking? In fact, you might ask, where does Paul use the term walking? Because if you're looking at the NIV, it's not there. Um, Let me show you. Uh, At the start, in verse 1, if you've got a Bible that you can look at there, Where we read, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What you have translated there as live a life is actually walk. So the Greek word is walk. In other words, uh, it will say, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul's used that word to refer to living Uh, Back in chapter 2, in verses 1 and verse 10, the word is there as well, walk. Again, the NIV is translated live, and and it translates it live because that's what it means. But I find walk actually a very helpful word because it's such a daily word. We understand uh, it better, I think, in a way, if we think of it as that activity of walking rather than just this general idea of living. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In verse 2, in which you used to live is walk, okay? So, verse 2, in which you used to walk when you followed the ways of the world. Actually works better, doesn't it? In which you used to walk when you followed the ways of the world. So, that's how you used to walk in chapter 2, verse 2. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, but now... Now that you've been rescued by Christ, verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to, and there it says do, that's actually where walk is as well. 
So an alternative translation would be, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to walk in, to walk out these good works, to walk in these good works. So you used to walk this way, following the ways of the world. Now you're to walk this way in the good works that God has prepared for you to walk in. There's a new walk that we're to take on when we uh, put our trust in Jesus Christ and come into his body. And so back here in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul is saying we are to walk a certain way. Walk worthy of the calling that we have received. Essentially, Paul is saying, be who you are. Be who you are. Now, remember in chapter 2, we saw that the gospel, through the gospel, God has restored us in two dimensions. He's restored us in our relationship with him, that vertical dimension, but he's also restored us in the horizontal dimension in our relationships with each other. And it's that second dimension that's actually the focus here, as Paul talks about, uh, walking worthy of the calling that we've received. We've been called into his body, into the body of Christ. And so we are to walk together. We're to walk together. Not uh, What does it mean to walk worthy? It means that we are to walk together. Uh, this is, again, a little bit uh, hidden in the passage, but he says there in verse 1, I urge you, and the you is a plural, okay? So that's yous in, in, in Australian. He says, uh, I urge yous to live a life worthy. See, that? that's singular. So together we are to live one life, one life together. Uh, now, what does that look like? What does it look like to walk together? We, we do actually have uh, examples of that, don't we, we that we, we can see in life. Marching is an example of people who are walking together, walking in unison. And perhaps we might think of that uh, to try to keep in step with one another, not to outpace each other, but to be uniform in our life together, in, united in our life together. But perhaps an even better example of what it means to walk together is the three-legged race. It might be a while since you've taken part in a three-legged race. I think if I took part in a three-legged race these days, I'd be at risk of breaking a hip, re-breaking my hip or something like that. Um, but you might be able to cast your mind back or you might have been at kids' carnivals uh, and you see the three-legged race for the little kids, you know, the two inside legs are are tied together with stockings and the kids have to coordinate themselves and accommodate themselves to each other in order to reach the finish line. Now, I actually think that's a really good description, a really good example of what it means to walk together, to walk worthy of the calling that we've received, to walk as the body of Christ. It's not very convenient the three-legged race, is it? It, it, It's it's a hassle. It's difficult. You have to match your stride to the person that you are tied with. But I think that's exactly what we're called to do in the body of Christ. Rather than just walking at our own pace and travelling wherever we want, we have to decide that we're going to walk together, even if it's harder. 
In fact, the promise is that it will be harder, but also that it will be better. And uh, so I think that's what Paul is talking about here. This is God's way because it reflects his priority of love, of concern for each other, of concern that together we make it to the finish line. Can, can you imagine, for example, that you got, the sick, you got sick of the hassle of having to be tired with others and walk with others and so you just cut the stockings and off you went and you got to the finish line first and God was there and he said, what are you doing here? Where's everybody else? Get back. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think that's what he would say. You don't arrive here on your own. We all arrive at the end of this race, this walk, together. And so we're to walk together. And we're to walk in love. We're to walk together in love. You see it there in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Uh, See, how we walk, walking worthy of the calling we've received, is all about how we treat each other. And it is a beautiful description, isn't it? Don't you want to be like this? Completely humble and gentle, patient and bearing with one another? Don't you want others to be like that towards you? Humble towards you, gentle towards you, patient towards you, bearing with you? That's what love looks like. And it's what it should look like together in the body of Christ. This is really just a call to live according to the gospel, isn't it? To live towards each other like Christ himself lives towards us. He humbles himself to us, though he is far greater than us. He is gentle with us and he is patient with us. And boy, does he bear with us. Yes, he does. It's a calling to live like Christ in our relationships with each other. You know, sometimes I think we could paraphrase the gospel as get over yourself (laughs) it might sound a bit harsh if it's too harsh for you perhaps forget yourself we're called to forget ourselves to not think about ourselves but instead to think about those who we're tied to uh, because of the love of Christ we're to think about each other and each other's needs and matching our lives to their needs it's a big calling isn't it and it's not a natural calling but it's the life that we have been called to it is the worthy life a life worthy of the gospel Um, and we're called to do nothing that would jeopardize our unity instead in verses four to six we're called to make every effort you see Make every effort, verse 3, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity isn't something that we have to manufacture or create. It's something that is given to us when we receive the Spirit of Christ. But it is something that we have to maintain uh, through the love that we exercise towards one another. And that's because we are called to this one body. Verse 4, one body, one Spirit. Uh, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. You get the key word there, don't you? One. One in 
Christ Jesus. That's who we are. Remember, this is a letter about our identity. You are not just you. You are us. We are who we are only together as the body of Christ. So we're to walk together in love for one another. That's walking. Now, there are two more specific activities to be, that we need in order to be a mature church. The first of those is listening. Now, uh, the word listening isn't used here. In fact, the uh, activity that's referred to is speaking. But let me show you why I say that the church is to be a listening church. In verses 7 to 10, there's this slightly uh, unusual passage Uh, that talks about Christ ascending and descending and uh, bringing gifts to men. Uh, The image here is Jesus is being described as a warrior king, a warrior who has returned from battle and he's been victorious. And that makes sense to us. We know that Jesus won the great victory on the cross. Uh, He descended uh, to the grave And then he ascended from the grave and up to heaven and he reigns from heaven. Jesus is the warrior king. And when Jesus uh, returns, uh, when he returns from his victory, when he is raised from the dead and when he ascends to heaven, then he gives gifts to men. Okay, The warrior king gives gifts to his people. Uh, What does he give? Well, The point in this chapter of the Bible is not on all uh, the different gifts that he gives to different people, like it is in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, The answer here, the gifts that he gives here, are actually people. And uh, you'll see that there in in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. So this is God's gift. This is Christ's gift to the church. It's these people. And what do they have in common? These are all people who teach the word of God. Have another look at the list. Apostles, they're the sent ones of God, sent with the message of God, the good news. The prophets in the Old Testament and in the New are the mouthpiece of God. The evangelists, well, the word just means gospelers, the people who take the gospel, and the pastors and the teachers, they're the ones who shepherd and care for the flock. How? Well, primarily by teaching the word of God. Our curriculum is the Bible. We're to be speakers, we're to be teachers, uh, these, these people. Uh, I was at the dentist during the week, And the dentist uh, said to me, uh, I noticed uh, that you're a pastor. This is a new dentist. I haven't been to him before. Uh, I asked about where the church was. And then a little later when he had his hands in my mouth and I couldn't talk about it, uh, he said, said, um, you know, uh, people who speak for a living have very inquisitive tongues. Uh, Apparently, he was having trouble keeping my tongue away from where he wanted to work. Uh, I couldn't really, you know, object. I think I said, okay. Uh, uh, People who speak for a living, he said, and that's right. See, all these people are people who speak for a living. Now, when I say a living there, I don't don't mean what he meant. I mean, these are people who speak for your living. 
that is for the living of the church, for the life of the church. This is where the life of the church comes from, from the speaking of the Word of God. And that means, now I'm getting to listening, that means that the church is to be a listening church. The church is to be all ears for the Word of God. The church is to be a people who make the most of the gifts that God has given. The ascended victorious Christ decided that the best gift he could give his church was people who would speak the word of God to them, who would remind them of the gospel, who would point them to Jesus Christ, who would elevate him in the words that they spoke. And that means that the church ought to be a a listening church. Now, I wonder if you think of listening as being a really big part of your life as a follower of Jesus. When you come along on a Sunday, are you all ears? Are you all ears hanging out for the word of God? And please hear me, I'm not asking you to be hanging out for my words, but for the word of God as he brings it to us Sunday by Sunday and every time, in fact, we open our Bibles. It's really important that we are those people, those listening people, because when we listen, then God prepares us for works of service. That's where this goes. See, chapter 4, verse 11 leads into verse 12. God gives these people, Christ gives these people, verse 12, to equip all of us, his people, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Hearing the word of God is what equips us then to build each other up, to do the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and become mature. So what then does this serving look like? For those who have heard the word, what are these works of service? Well, there are lots of ways that we can serve. We could write a long list, couldn't we, of different ways to love each other. But in this passage, there's actually a focus, a very specific focus to our serving. And that is that we are actually to be people who speak ourselves. That it's not only the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers who are to speak the word of God, but those who have heard it are then meant to speak it to each other. And that's how the body of Christ is built up. As we remind one another of the truth of the gospel and help each other to apply it to our lives. If you compare verses 13 and 15, uh, you'll see that uh, serving equals speaking because the result in both those verses is the same. So we just read verse 13, or 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then verse 15, instead, and this is the activity for all of us, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body. See, it's through the speaking of the word, first from the pastors and teachers, but then from those who have heard it to each other, that Christ does this amazing work of building the mature body up. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body. Now, it's really important to understand what that phrase, the truth in love, means. Firstly, it's not just any old truth. Okay, 
So it's not just saying true things to each other. The truth that we are to speak to each other is the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, the truth about Jesus Christ. That's what builds up the body of Christ, speaking the truth about Christ. And to, say, to speak this truth in love just doesn't just mean that we're to speak it in a loving way, you know, to be kind as we speak it, although of course that's true. It's rather that when we speak the truth, we do it for the sake of the person we're speaking to, for the body, building up of the body of Christ. So we're to speak the gospel to each other. This is how Christ builds his church and this is how the members of the body love one another by speaking the truth in love for each other. Now, I wonder if you're someone who finds that difficult to do, who finds it difficult to speak of Christian things, even with other Christians. In my experience, it seems to be something that we either find hard or for some other reason avoid. It's, it's often not the case that it's gospel truth that we are sharing in our conversations. And I want to give us the benefit of the doubt there and say that it's just something we find hard for some reason. Here's a tip. Here's a tip for how you might uh, improve your speaking the truth in love skills. When you're talking with each other, listen for emotions. Okay? Listen for feelings. Listen for what people care about. Because often that will be the doorway to speak the truth in love. So if you're talking to a friend and they're talking about anxiety, something that they're worried about, something they're anxious about, that's a doorway for you to speak the truth in love to them. As, as you hear, ah, oh, okay, Mark is feeling anxious about what's ahead this week. Oh, how, how does the gospel bring resources to this conversation and to Mark's need here? You know, if, if Mark is feeling anxious, then what does he need to know? He needs to know that God sent his only son because he loves him that much. He needs to know that the God who is the God of the universe has him well in hand, safe in his care. He needs to know that even though there may be hard things ahead, God is not a God who forsakes his children. He'll be with him through all that. Uh, another friend you might be talking to is frustrated with things at work or in some other aspect of life and maybe they're getting pretty judgmental and that sort of thing about other people. What would it look like to speak the truth in love to that friend who is frustrated and becoming judgmental? Perhaps for that person, while you empathise with their situation, you might need to say something along the lines of, I can, I can hear that this is really getting you frustrated and that you've been living with it for a while. Is it something that you've been praying about? And simply asking that question, you're asking them to take their frustrations to God and deal with them well. You might even talk about how, you know, the reality is that we're all frustrating people at times and yet God continues to love us and he calls us to love our enemies. You know, you redirect them to the hope and the, li the worthy life that the gospel uh, calls us to. If you're talking to a friend who, as you hear them talk, you realise that 
they don't seem all that interested in the things of God, that they're never talking about uh, their own walk with God or anything like that, but they're always talking about other interests and that sort of thing. Maybe for that person to speak the truth in love means to gently challenge that, that, those, the things that they're loving. You say, I can see that that's something that you're really in, invested in. Um, where do you think that sits in God's priorities? Now, you might have other words for that. But all the time, our goal, remember, is maturity. Our goal is to build one another up as fellow members of the body of Christ so that the whole body might become mature. And the means that God has given us to achieve it is to speak the truth in love, to be people who, having heard the word, then pass it on and speak it to each other. So I'm going to pray now for all of us that we would be people who use our walking and our listening and our speaking so that we can build up uh, each other up as the mature body of Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that uh, you have this wonderful plan for us uh, to be the mature body of Christ. Father, we confess that we are all guilty of quite individual thinking. Even when we think about our relationship with you, we're prone to think uh, in that uh, one-dimensional way. Father, help us to understand that your plans are not just for us as individuals, but for us as members of your body uh, and to be contributors to that body. Help us to walk worthy of the life, that, of the calling that we have received in Christ. Help us to remember that that calling is a calling to love each other and that loving each other means being people who are all ears for your word and then people who are willing to speak that word to each other in love. Help us to trust that when we do that, even though we may falter and fumble and stumble over the things we want to say, that that's how you choose to build your church. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.